Uh, by the way, I'm Charlie from uh, from Reunion of Souls, and uh, and it's a hell of a week for me. And there's a band with buddies of mine that I have to see in an hour. So okay. I came all the way over here to the world famous Bowery Electric, just nice. up the street from where CBGBs used to be. Oh, okay. and uh, and uh, and so that's where I'll be uh, holding holding cool. uh, court from. <laughs> Today I have on Eddie Hedges and Charlie C.P. Roth. They're working together in, they used to be in the band Blessed Unions of Soul, and they're now doing a band called Reunions of Soul, and they were going to use the name Collective Soul. <laughs> <laughs> but, we, but, we, but we ended up with Blessed Union of Souls. Collectively. Then, yeah, and now we are the Reunion of Soul. Okay, cool. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so you guys have also worked for other bands. So I'm just going to mention them real quickly. But CP, you've worked for Rick Derringer, Edgar Winter, Susie and the Banshees, Suzanne Vega, Ozzy. All roads lead back to Ozzy. I swear. <laughs> In every interview, all roads lead back to Ozzy. So, <laughs> and uh, Dennis Leary, who I wasn't aware. Did Dennis Leary have a band? Or yeah, Dennis is actually. Uh, I mean, I met Dennis. My uh, late brother went to college with Dennis, uh, Emerson uh, College, back in the late 70s. Cool. And just about from the day that I met him, I became his musical director. I've known that guy since he was 18. So, oh. uh, you know, he got some good fortune. And uh, he, I, he's enabled <laughs> me to put together a 10-piece band for him that uh, we use whenever he plays. And uh, as I like to say, when you're spending somebody else's money, you can afford to hire the best. So uh, <laughs> Good. I've, got, I've got an amazing, amazing band behind him. Uh, also, if anybody out there, uh, uh, I've all 25 of you who saw the series Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll, a uh, lot of uh, that band uh, you heard on the soundtrack and myself and the lead guitar player were the two musical consultants and sort of, you know, ran the musical show on that. So, uh, cool. yeah, I mean, some years we only do two gigs because it's we get real popular around benefit season, you know. <laughs> so, uh, but we do one one annual show at Boston Garden every year. Uh, this year we'll have Jimmy Fallon joining us. Uh, we're going to do a big dude. version of Won't Get Fooled Again. We're going to have Laser and Pyro with my drumming. I drum with Dennis. So, uh can yeah, we have gonna, like, yeah, be can we make your drumsticks like those Twizzler things? That would be cool. Oh, I'm you know, sure. Where you can do Listen, your name. Actually, well, Eddie would know, the guy that's in charge of that production is that uh, dude that was in charge of the productions at the Kiss 108 thing, Bill Kenny. Oh, yeah. That okay. we work with every year. So I'm sure Bill's got some surprises for me. I, <laughs> I like it. So I was going to say here, so Eddie, Eddie's been in Sheila E. <laughs> Yeah, well, I totally. I was like, oh, oops. Not her type. Oops. Eddie's worked with Eddie's worked with Sheila E. Belle Devoe and Shanice. So yeah, you know. And, and I, I would just because because I know Eddie's not going to blow his own horn here, but I got to tell you, sure, let's do you know how me. good? Do you know how good a drummer you drummer. have to be? I mean, to be, I mean. I pulled for a, a minute, too, right? How, long, how many eyes. tours did you do with her? How long were you out with her? I think you were yeah. with her for a while. No, nah, no. Nah, I mean, you know, we just went over and did a bunch of the Blue Notes over in Japan. Uh, did a few shows with her, you know. I uh, wasn't with her that long because I was going kind of back and forth between her and then Shanice. And then I was still doing um, 
uh, this was a show kind of with Johnny, Johnny Gill, and you know, just bouncing around. But I was with Sheila with probably maybe about a month and a half, maybe something like that, because it was just a quick tour. Rehearsed for over a month, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But, uh, well, a month on the road can feel like a really long time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I've, I've noticed that L.A. bands will really take the time to rehearse. And New LA. York, like, every New York band is like, ah, the gear turned on. Okay, let's light a joint. All right, on the bus, we're out of here. And we're done. <laughs> and I, you know, like, the, the first tour I did with Derringer, we did one rehearsal. Yeah. We're out for, like, a week. I, like, go go to him. Like, you know, I just sort of got the gig with him. I go up to him after we've been out a week. I go, because he hadn't worked with a keyboard player for a while. And that's when I was playing with Rick. Yeah. And I go to him. I go, so, dude, like, uh, you digging what I'm playing? Is, is it okay? And he goes, hey, I gave you the gig, didn't I? So, I mean, that's New York bands <laughs> in a nutshell. <laughs> so I watched, uh, I watched one of your guys' old interviews. I don't know if you've seen it in a while, but it was with Regis and Kathy Lee. We oh, loved yeah. that, man. They sold a yeah. lot of records for us. It was yeah. a good one. It was funny because I watched it. And uh, so he, like, stole your egg. And then, and then he's like, he's, and then you're like, you can keep the egg. And then he, like, throws it at you. I'm like, well, that was, that was yeah, very weird. It and was then, really crazy. And then she, she's like, uh, so if you guys have all been in bands before, right? And then she, and she goes, that's usually the case. And I'm kind of like, is, <laughs> it? is that how it goes? I'm like, Kathy Lee, she knows what's up. I know, right? Well, Kat, you know, Kathy, Kathy had, a, had some records out. And actually, I got to tell you that either, I forget if it was the next time we were on or, or two times after that, but we elected to have our gold record presentation done on the show oh cool and, Re- and regis was like all happy that like we were back on the show but i could really tell that like that really meant something to kathy that we would do something industry related like With she her. really she understood what that actually meant you know mm-hmm. and you really you really got the impression that like it wasn't just tv host oh this is a nice thing and now we're going to have the cooking segment like she was really kind of invested in it. Yeah, it, it was cool. They were great. They were wonderful to us. Yeah, she was cool. It was funny because um, you know she always talked about her son Cody. You know, always talked about Cody. So I was like, okay, well, um, the next time we go on the show, you know, the little eggs. I brought a carton of them. Oh, right, right on. <laughs> carton of eggs, gave them to everybody, right? So then I think we went on one more time after that, and she was like, "You and those damn eggs." They, they were shaking those things all over the place. They were driving me insane. I said, you're supposed to take them home and give them to Cody. She gave them to everybody on the cast. Everybody worked there. So he Regis still had his original one. He showed it to us. I was like, well, that's pretty cool. That you is know? cool. It means it meant something. It's nice. Yeah. yeah. You know, he asked if he could join in. He's going to join the band. <laughs> serious question here. Who, uh, whose decision was it to let Eddie out from behind the drum kit here to uh, do the reunion of soul singing stuff? Well, it, Eddie, Eddie is... Uh, he is an amazing singer. He is He's an amazing oh, frontman. Here, here. I'm going to leave so you guys can talk about me. Like I'm not. Like, yeah. Talk about Good. Good. The, the, <laughs> the, the funniest thing for me, I mean, you know, look, Eddie's out there in front. Everybody's happy. The funniest thing for me was when I was hearing my drumming. Uh, like we, we did this big festival gig in Pennsylvania just to see if like this is going to work at a, we couldn't believe how well it worked. So the crowd went nuts. But I was listening back, and I was hearing my New York punk rock drumming on these Blessed Union songs, and I'm going like, 
man, I didn't realize we were writing such aggressive material. Oh, no, hey, man. <laughs> but it was driving, though. It was driving. I was like, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. no, Eddie knows he's got to sing a song when I'm drumming. <laughs> oh, hey, he's kicking, hey, he's kicking me in the butt back there, man. But no, Charlie, Charlie's one of those guys. He plays anything he touches. You know, so I'm like, yeah. you know, whatever. What do we need? Oh, we need a daggone bassoon player. Charlie can do it. You know, and give it to him. He's well, I read those- up on you. So in an interview, who, who did you say paid for your college CP? <laughs> oh, that was, uh, well, hey, Alan, how are I'm doing? I'm doing an interview. Doing hey. some publicity for my old band, but that's. This this is Alan. He's one of the best photographers in New York. He shoots all the band. Alan Rand. This guy's a genius. Hey, Alan. Anyway, sorry, Alan. buddy. <laughs> so, uh, so, uh, uh, what, I'm sorry. What was the question? You paid for your education. Oh, right. So, my father. Uh, if any of you guys out there in uh, Radio Land are uh, hip to comics, my father is a very well-known uh, cartoonist named Arnold Roth, and he's been around since the '50s and. Had a, and he's still with us. He's still with us at 92. And, yep. uh, and, but uh, when I was in college, dad was doing a lot of work for Playboy magazine. And he did a comic strip for Playboy called The History of Sex. And he made so much money from it that he was able to send my brother and myself to college on Hugh Hefner's money. It was great. And you know what? You would think, you would think being sent to college with Hugh Hefner's money might mean like a bonanza in a, in a certain area, but no, <laughs> once, once, the whole time I was in college, once. That's what kind of game I had, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I, made, I made up for it later. We hope, we sure, I'm yeah, sure you did. Do you yeah. want to tell well, me the story well, once, about it? Once you're hanging around Eddie, you just get the spillover, you know? Oh no, man. I- <laughs> it was the hair, Eddie's hair was magical. And I was Billy and Vanilli then. I was crazy. <laughs> you know, it's true. So, uh, so I don't know. I don't know how much time we do have, but that Japanese groupie story that I heard of your CP is incredible. Uh, oh, yeah. Man. That, uh, well, you know, I, I'll try to tell the, the short version of it. It was so this, good. The, yeah. This is the first. Uh, so when I was touring, do you know this story, Eddie, do you know where I'm going with this? Yeah, I think I do. Oh, he's okay. heard it. He's I heard it. And not not only has Eddie heard this story, but he already knew the vibe of what was up before I even got to the end of it. So, because he had been over quite a bit. So, uh, yeah, when I was with Oz, it was mostly over the winter months between 88 and 89. And right after the new year, we went to Japan. So it was still winter over there. And everybody had to come from the four corners of the earth to get there. So by the time we all arrived at the hotel, everybody was just dog tired. But then a call went out saying like, Hey, a bunch of people were going to gather in the hotel bar. So I go down there and it's, uh, now this is, yeah, early 89. So it's Ozzy Sharon. We had Geezer Butler, the bassist from Black Sabbath, was the bassist on the tour. A couple of crew guys uh, and uh, our translators. So uh, they had two translators the promoter gave us. So we're sitting down there having a nice time drinking. All of a sudden this groupie appears out of nowhere. And in Japan, you can tell the groupies because they're dressed in haute couture. They're literally all dressed. You know, like in America, they're all like rip stockings and hey, you know, and, you know, you know, little Catholic schoolgirl skirts. But in Japan, it's like designer dresses, like $2,000 dresses. That's the and kind of stuff Eddie wears. Exactly. <laughs> well, they, they're all trying to impress Eddie. So, uh, so uh, she appears at the table and starts talking to Ozzy. So Sharon 
makes believe that she's with Geezer. Because like Sharon wasn't that famous yet. Like we want to hear the impression. Famous. You got come on, let me hear oh. the, uh, the accent. Oi, oi, Giza, make believe I'm your old lady. Let's see how far she gets with Oz. And then Ozzy is going, oh, God, yeah, I've been on a plane all day. Everything happens to me. Oh, yeah. So anyway, this girl, she wouldn't leave him alone. And she gets more and more familiar with him. And she starts playing with his hair. Now, that's Ozzy's real hair. I swear to God. But anyway, Ozzy's going, oh, oh darling, don't, don't be. And I'm, I'm going to use clean language. Don't be messing with me hair. I don't like it with people. And she kept doing it. And finally, he grabbed her hand and said, really, I told you not to mess with my hair. And she started lipping off to him. So at that point, everything changed. And Sharon, how freely can I speak on this show? Oh, it's pretty. We've had some pretty raucous stuff, I think. Okay. So, so Sharon gets up, gets right in this girl's face, and she goes, I know what you are. You're a fucking whore. And she goes back and decks this chick with a right her feet left the ground and she goes flying back and lands on the floor. But here's the thing in this bar, there were seats and tables, but there were also just these cubes that were covered with Formica. Her head missed the corner of one of those cubes by three inches. That that would have been it. As soon as she went down, the front of house guy immediately got her up and got her out of the bar. Right. Because the bar was packed. There were all these other tables in there. And at every table was a man and a woman. So, and I mean, it, it, everything was fine, except for this kerfuffle that happened. So they get her out of there. We all try to calm down. And then the police show up. So <laughs> the police start talking. They don't even come over to where we are. They start talking to all the other Japanese people in the bar. So Sharon goes to the translators. Oi, go over, find out what they tell telling the coppers. So they go over, they're listening to one one guy talk and they look Sharon at each had a other. sore throat. Yeah, uh, yeah. And then, <laughs> then they go over, they listen to another guy talk, and then two translators look at each other and shake their heads, and they come back over to We Are. Sharon goes, Well, what are they saying? So one of the translators says, You guys got nothing to worry about. He goes, First of all, every one of the guys at these tables is telling the cops, whatever those English people say is what happened, that's what happened. And then we discovered that you see all these women at those tables? We go, yeah. They go, those aren't their wives. So the other thing they're telling the cops is, you never saw me here. <laughs> That's awesome. And the groupie so, married Dennis Leary? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Den- Dennis got married to a lovely lady named Anne. Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. Who's, yeah. Who's, who's good with horses and dogs. So I heard <laughs> on some other stuff, Geezer Butler is, loves his windups. Do you have any windup stories from Geezer? Geezer is the driest wit I've ever met. And I mean, it's like bone dry. I mean, you really kind of have to get, once you get used to it, he's the funniest guy in the world. But the main thing I remember about Geezer was, because you got to remember this is 88, 89. Yeah. (laughs) He could not stand the band Poison. He just thought, he thought that was the death of metal. Not death metal. You thought it was the death of metal. So, you know, Poison had this song called Every Rose Has Its Thorn. I've heard it once well, or twice. I toured right. with Poison. <laughs> ah, there you go. So, well, well, Geezer would walk around singing this all day. This is all he would say. Every sausage has its pan. 
<laughs> like that's geezer. <laughs> a geezer yeah. also. The nice thing about you know, Ozzy couldn't remember anything from back in the day, and Geezer remembered everything. And oh, Geezer yeah. had some brilliant Sabbath stories. Yeah, uh, from from back in the day. Uh, yeah, I mean, the so the oddest of which, because it was just like, oh man, that was a different time. You know, they immediately go from four yabos in Birmingham to playing sold out stadiums in America. It was just like sure. bang, you know. I mean, that album, I'm old enough to remember, that album, you know, a lot of people remember when Nevermind came out, and it's like, you know, one week, there was no Nevermind, and then the next week, like, everybody owned that album. The only other time I ever saw that was that first Sabbath album. And not every, you know, not the people that were into soft music didn't buy it. Everybody else bought that album, and it was just like part, well, I grew up in Jersey, which is, you know, but, uh, (laughs) <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was just part of the firmament after that. Yeah. And so uh, uh, so when they come over in 70, Jesus telling me they're playing Winterland. She's the most beautiful woman in the world he ever saw. She was like, you know, flashing her boobs at him, the whole thing. And she threw him a vial of some white powder. And Geezer took it over to the side of the stage, laid out six lines and did five of them. And then realized... It was PCP. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, God. And he said, he said, the rest of the night, after the, he was flipped out, and then after the show, the other three guys in the band had to walk him up and down all the hills in San Francisco because he thought if he stood still, his skeleton was going to jump out of his mouth and run away. <laughs> but, you know, that, that was back in the day when you could still take take an offering from an audience member and not think they're going to kill you yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so how long till he took the sixth line <laughs> oh no no yeah he did his tech of, right. he did his tech a favor and only left him one line but i'll oh. tell you you know uh uh and i'll mind any of this when we toured with mike and the mechanics uh when blessed union toured with mike and the mechanics and uh we invariably all those the band guys all would drive to either fancy hotels or back to their house because it's England. It's rather rather small, but we would always end up a lot of times at the same hotels with their crew, mm-hmm. and the Mike and McCandless crew was like the all stars from Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, Genesis, and one other humongous band. But you know these guys were the creams of the crop. So the guy that was keyboard teching, he's telling us his other gig is he's. Uh, Robert Plant's tech whenever Led Zeppelin reforms. And I go, well, what are you supposed to tech with him? You make sure your his mic's plugged in? He goes, no. My most important job is I hand I hand Robert an unopened bottle of water. And that's my number one job. It, like, the water cannot be opened because he got dosed once. And that's like my main job. That water has to be shut all the way. But, you know, I've had other pals that have had personal assistant roles. I had a buddy that uh, was uh, Billy Preston's minder on all oh, the Ringo Starr tours. And he said, cool. he said his main job was to make sure that Billy never had more than $11 in his pocket. <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll just leave it there. <laughs> Why 11? Why can't it be 10? Well, number because, nine? Number nine? Well, Maybe it should be nine. Be, because... 
and, and I can tell you this from the experience, you can't buy blow at an after hours bar with $11. No. <laughs> Billy Preston's man. Okay, so I have a question. Not even in the 80s. <laughs> oh. uh, do you guys know what Jangle Pop is? Jangle oh, pop? I don't know. It's what, what the hell would that be? <laughs> you guys are Jangle Pop. We are oh, my God. Pop. <laughs> you guys are Jangle Pop. Jangle all the way? Jangle or jingle jangle is a sound typically characterized by undistorted treble heavy electric guitars, particularly 12 strings, played in droning cordial style by strong by strumming or arpeggiating. I don't even know what word that is. Arpeggio. Uh, arpeggiating. Arpeggiated. Thank you. Music yeah, critics I usually see. deploy the term to suggest guitar pop that evokes a bright mood. <laughs> well, we didn't use a whole lot of 12 string, but oh, I tell you what we did do, because uh, we use a lot of acoustic guitar yeah. on a lot of our records. But the other thing that we really got into, and uh, I don't know if you've heard of this, is sort of a thing that a lot of people are doing on records now, and I love the sound of it. We did this thing called Nashville tuning. And what you do is you take an acoustic or an electric guitar and you put all high e strings on it, like what would be the sixth string on a guitar you yeah. put that on all six strings but then you tune those strings the way you know to the closest note to that high e the way a normal guitar would be tuned so now it's just like this bell-like thing and the way you use it is you double your rhythm guitar and you just slide this in a little bit on the fader and it just adds the sheen. It's just gorgeous. And cool. we did that on so many of our songs. So it's not like you can really hear it. Go, oh, I can hear what you guys did. Right, right, but right, it's, right. Just, it's just in there. And it does that jangly thing. You know, Maybe. listen, you know. Wikipedia's people, right. Here we go. Right. We got jangle pop. <laughs> you want to hear what else you are? There's more. What is that? You guys know what power pop is. Oh, of course. Well, you know, power pop. Well, I, I have always stated that... Uh, the, the kings of power pop, the guys that really invented the genre, were the Hollies uh, that came over with the British original British invasion. Graham Nash. You sure it wasn't uh, Matchbox Twenty? <laughs> I don't think so. But good uh, band, though. Good band. Yeah, oh yeah. But uh, but uh, the Hollies uh, really sort of embodied it. Somewhat complex arrangements, very complex harmonies. And also the way that George Martin produced them, like they kind of had this sort of heavy guitar bass factor that they kind of let slip through, especially in solo yeah. sections, that was really unheard of at the time. And their records are so innovative, but I really feel like they're the guys that really sort of invented the genre. Of course, I mean, that now goes on to things like, uh, uh, you know, you get farther into the 60s and the early 70s, you know, the album that everybody claims that they owned and nobody owned it, the album uh, from Big Star that really sort of set the new rules for power pop in the 70s, yeah. which ultimately led to like the way the more popular bands in the, in the punk genre came. And then you, you know everything that happened after that. <laughs> sure. It's funny. Hey. I, I'm sitting here and I'm nodding my head going, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Music guy. Okay, you college fella. Was, you know, I was in the basement listening to like Hugh Hefner's money was well spent. I don't know, right? I don't know. I was in the basement hey, like moving a moving. Sort of the SOS band, you know, as a, you know, you know, Stevie Wonder, the Jack, even the Jacksons after you, know, Michael Jackson, you know, 
we grew up at the red light parties in the basement playing all Motown and Philly stuff. Yeah. You know, so. How much PCP did you do with Belle Biv DeVoe, Eddie? <laughs> oh, man, none, none. But I tell you what, there a was. Boring a, tour. <laughs> yeah, no, there was, there wasn't a whole lot of that going on, but uh, you could probably plant a tree in the back lounge on the bus. You know, yeah, there, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, there was a lot. Of I that. can't think of any other bands like that. No, that I might have been in with you. No. <laughs> okay, what here's another that? film. So what I typed that? into Google, "Is love the answer?" And this yes. is what I got. There's two guys that say, "Yeah, you've got Todd Rundgren, and he wrote a song called Love Is the Answer.'" My, the yeah. hero of life for me. That Todd is God as far, and I'm from Philly. He's from Upper Darby, which is like the next town up from Philly. Me. Uh, yeah. Todd is God. The other one is England Dan and John Ford. Well, yeah. but, but they covered Todd Rundgren's song. They that's, did. That's well, Todd's they did a good song. Version. Yeah. They're worth mentioning. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. well, you know. And then when you type in, uh, I believe what is the answer? Guess what comes up? Fudge. just popped right up so yeah. there you go so you made it um i don't know have either of you guys ever played the girl scout jamboree <laughs> oh we have as a matter of fact it's funny that you brought that up because uh i mean i think for everybody in the band that was the day we were actually paid the highest compliment we were ever i i mean i i can't think of because Here's the thing. Like, did you have you know, Girl Scout really, cookies on the rider? Hey, look, look, I'm waiting to hear this one myself. I'm like, okay, where are we going? See, <laughs> you know, when you're in a band, I mean, even when you meet guys and they're genuine and they go, man, I think you guys are great. They're like, ah, oh, well, we're all hanging out. You know, maybe you got to say that, maybe you don't. You know, and it's nice. But so we did this, we played a Girl Scout jamboree. And this was after Hey Leonardo came out. And we're up there in Portland, Oregon. Yep. And we're opening for the Temptations. So now Otis, Otis, damn, Williams was the last original member in the Temptations, and he was running the show at that point. Mm -hmm. So our band, hey girl, our band and the Temptations both had the same guy working monitors for. So after our monitor guy got us up and running, and you know things were you know going along, he went back to their dressing room. But this was an outdoor thing. So, like, they just had this bungalow with a porch that looked right at the stage. So Otis is out there watching. And Scotty goes over there. Our monitor guy goes over there. is talking to him for a little while. And Otis is really digging us. He walks back into the room, swear to God, and he tells his band and the Temptations, he tells the Temptations, boys, we got to pick it up a notch tonight. Vays in Atenas. And when he told me this, I was like, like, yeah. really? Like the, the guy move your, move your walkers over, boys. <laughs> like like the guy from the temptation. I mean, the bills this guy's been on, and he's yeah. looking at our shaggy butts and going, like, oh man, these guys are these guys are nipping at our heels, man. We better like better raise the bar a little bit. I mean, yeah, that's pretty, neat. you know, I'll, I'll go on that for the rest for another 40 years. Man, yeah, that's really. a good right there. So I'm looking through these and I feel so bad for Elliot 
in all these interviews, can you imagine you break up with a chick and then for the rest of your life, people ask you, hey, so do you still talk to the girl? What happened to the girl? Blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, why did I do this? It's not the first time. Hey, think of how about, think about how every doo-wop band ever felt. Oh, man, it's got to be brutal. <laughs> All you got to do up songs is names of chicks that they broke up with. <laughs> I know, all right? I know. Sometimes there's a list of them. <laughs> it's got to be tough. It's got to be yeah. tough. So uh, Jay Leno, Shanice, that's neat stuff. Tell me, Eddie, how did the show go? Was Jay nervous that day? Was he excited? I know he'd been on the show so many times before, but. Well, no, no, he would. This was actually his very first. This was his opening night. This is right after he, uh, you know, Johnny left. This was Jay's first night. And we were his guests. So it was cool. I mean, he was um, just Jay, man. I don't, I don't think he ever gets nervous anymore. Yeah. You know? um, well, he had done, he was the, uh, when, when Carson was gone, he was the fill-in for a while, right? And then he took over the show. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, no, it, he, it was kind of like, so. yeah, yeah. I, I, you know what, all I know is, you know, he was, re- he's really cool, really nice guy. Yeah. And um, we got there early, man. And he came, he drove in in this, I don't even know what kind of car this thing was. It was the coolest little roaster. You know, he's got so many of them. So cool. But he came, had lunch with us. Everything was cool. You know what else, too? Remember, uh, I mean, Jay, Jay was really cool. He was really cool. The show was cool. Shanice is beautiful. You know, she, she's probably still today one of my favorite singers, you know. Yeah. Um, and she's just got a, a, a great heart. You know, she's one of those. Um, she worked with uh, Nerado Michael Walden for a while, you know. Okay. And I think he did the first one, but that was really cool. But you know, what was when we're thinking about since Charlie's here, he knows when we did uh, the Mike and the Mechanics. <laughs> those cats used to come to Soundcheck every day and have lunch with us. Yeah. And then, so what? Yeah. How many of the guys are in Genesis uh, from Mike and the Mechanics? It's a. That was just cool. Michael Rutherford. Okay. And then they had uh, the late great Paul Young. Not that every time you go away, Paul Young, but uh, Paul Young was with a well-known English band called Sad Cafe. He was a hell of a singer. Yeah. And uh, uh, then they had uh, uh, oh damn, why am I? Paul Carrick oh, on Carrick. keys. Mm-hmm. Now you know Paul from the brief time he was with Squeeze. He wrote and sang "Tempted," so oh, you yeah. know him from that. But he's. Paul Carrick is like a prolific writer and Man. his writing, I mean, his, he's got writing credits with the Eagles. I mean, it's crazy. And, yeah. uh, and Gary then they had, they had the touring, yeah, the touring drummer from Pink Floyd on drums. Wow. And they had Tim Rennick, who I call the happiest man in show business uh, on guitar. And uh, Tim, he, I've actually seen him like, you know, on occasion when Paul McCartney will do like, just do like a rockabilly set and he just gets some lads together. Like yeah. guys who can really play that. Tim's always in those bands because Tim could just shred oh, on that he, stuff. He, he, uh, yeah, and the nicest guys, they were the nicest guys in the world, except. So we go, we, we played, <laughs> we played, uh, uh, we played in Manchester twice on that tour. Mm-hmm. But the second time we played there, Manchester was playing Sheffield. In a big oh. at man, this is Man City back yeah. when they were the New York Mets. Like now, Man City runs England, but back then they were like literally like almost a joke team, and they were playing Sheffield. So everybody in the band was a huge Man City fan, and Paul Carrick was a Sheffield fan. Yeah, and I remember I didn't go to the game, but apparently Mike took Jeff, our guitar player, 
onto the pitch, I go, dude, I hope you didn't tell anybody you were an American because that's not allowed. And yeah. then he brought a yank out there on the sacred pitch. But uh, Man City won the game. Paul didn't show up for the dinner afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy thing though is watching them do their show, but they had in ears, they had the game on in their ears. Yeah, they yeah, they would listen to games leading up to it, and you could always tell when somebody scored because they'd be playing it all of a sudden, everybody would go. Ah, something must have happened. So they'd listen to the game while they were doing the performance? Yeah. There you go. That's awesome. Pros, my friend, pros. The coolest thing about that show was Paul Carrick used to sing this song called In the Living Years, right? Yeah, sure. And the lights, between the lights and the lyrics and the whole mood, the whole vibe that they created. I mean, every night I would go out and watch that thing, man. And it would like bring tears to your eyes. It was crazy. It's I remember, a beautiful song. Yeah. I remember our favorite. And I don't know if it was a Mike song or if it was a Paul song. Remember that song, Angel Over My Shoulder? Yeah, that Paul yeah. would do. That was my favorite because it was kind of funky, yeah. and yeah, it was like, man, th- those guys were great. Yeah, they treated us awesome, yeah. and you know, I mean, they took us look, over to five, five knuckleheads from America. We got to play Royal Albert Hall two nights in a row. Oh, so wow. you know, yeah. they took us out. To the, well, they, they went out. They took us out to the Genesis Ranch where they kept everything, the old farmhouse, you know. And then, then we go into this pole barn garage. They got everything you know, from the, all the gear, all the equipment, touring stuff. The it custom was, Rickenbacker, half guitar, half bass. Yeah. Yeah, they got all kinds of stuff over there. So you before know? doing, uh, what's the what's the biggest audience you perform? Because I know you do a lot of the, what do you call it, church circuit? I don't know what the right way to say it is, Eddie, but uh, I guess church circuit would be fine. But I did that. Um, I did it like a, like, uh, you know, they used to have this thing, uh, these harvest festivals. And I did this harvest festival Right after I left the band, I kind of took some time off. And a lot of people thought I just walked away and quit the band. The reason I actually left the band was my mom was really sick. I, uh, I built a house. They had a home in Ohio. And I built a house behind their house on their property so that whenever we were off the road, I could be there. So um, this is the craziest thing, man. She, uh, one night, um, my, you know, I get home. And I'm in my place talking to my now wife, but my girlfriend at the time. And my dad calls me at two o'clock in the morning. He says, hey, come, you know, come up to the house. Your mom wants to talk to you. I'm like, okay. So <clears throat> she says, jump up out of the bed. I know she's and she says, um, sit on the bed. Now, mom had a stroke. She couldn't walk. She had cancer. And so she was paralyzed from the waist down. So I'm sitting on the bed with her. And she's talking to me. She says, uh, listen, I have, to, I have to talk to you about a couple of things. And I said, yes, ma'am. And she says, uh, first of all, I, I got to go. And I'm like, um, okay. And she says, um, listen, um, you have to take care of your father. I was like, yes, ma'am. And she says, and, uh, you know, you stop trying to take care of all your brothers. They're grown. You just she said, all you're doing is enabling their bad behavior. Stop paying for their stuff. I'm like, okay. And then she said, and then this thing you're doing with this, Blessed man, God knows what all over the world. I'm like, yes, ma'am. She says, it's time to stop. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> what? You know, we were promoting Hey Leonardo at the time. I was like, really, mom? She goes, she says, I'm telling you, son. She says, God has other plans for you. So you have to stop that. And I said, yes, ma'am. And I kid you not, dude. She, she stopped 
and it was like somebody let the air out of her two long breaths and she really she looked up in the corner of the room keep in mind she's paralyzed she stands she stands up and she reaches up she goes oh and then she laid back and she was gone wow i called the guys like the next day or so i said guys i gotta quit the band (laughs) you know so wow that's why i left but you know not because there was anything crazy normally bands you know people leave bands because there's some you know you know because of a a member or two yeah arguments yeah it's just a mess and then you run out of money and then you you patch things up (laughs) (laughs) and you get your own tour bus (laughs) exactly you know you own your gear you know yeah But, uh, but no so then we decided jeff and i decided like some years later hey man you want to you want to get together and do some stuff and we just got together and start writing some stuff and i was like hey it'd be a cool idea if we just got the rest of the guys together and got out and did some stuff yeah and that's how we ended up with the four of us you know we're the four original members of the band so you know we said well let's just go do this again and we started getting some great gigs and then the covid hit you know right so why did you guys um why is elliot not a part of the reunions of souls is there he's he elliot um I, I honest and I'll be really honest with you. I don't know because I I left. So apparently some stuff went down. I don't know what it. I don't really know what happened. I just know that something went down. Um, I've asked El. I called him a couple of times. You know, we had a couple of really cool shows come up, and I said, "Hey, man, because I'm more comfortable playing drums anyway. I'd much rather be on the kit. You know, I don't. Yeah. Have, I don't. You know, being out front. That, that's cool." Elliot and I were in a band before, and he was my keyboard player. I showed him how to front a band. So then oh, he, no way. Yeah, so he would come out in front so I could go back to the drums, you know? And then... Um, so you know what? History sometimes repeats itself, isn't that right? You never know, man. You know, I mean, I it's crazy. When I left, I left um, Cincinnati, I was playing with Jeff in a band called Slam. And when I left to come out and play with Belle Biv DeVoe, they needed a singer. So I introduced Elliot to Jeff. And, you know, after I had worked with him in another band, we were on CBS. So he, uh, he kind of had that front man thing going. So they got together. And then about a year later, I came back home and we put the band together. So, you know, so not to cut you off. Sorry, Eddie. Go ahead, man. Go ahead. So um, when I was going to put this podcast together, my friend has a daughter in fifth grade and she had her little friends over and they were very serious. And they said, you need to ask every one of your guests when they first felt famous. And I've actually been asking the guests and I've had fantastic answers. So we're talking about a little girl, but if you broaden it, if you choose to, you can say when you first felt famous, if you like, but when did you feel like you were on the right path? There was a moment where something happened in your career that you smiled to yourself or to the audience, some moment in time that was like, this is, this is cool. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, go go ahead, Eddie. You know, I think I think for me is when uh, my mom saw us on Regis and Kathy Lee. That was like she was happy. You know, she told everybody, "That's my son." You know, we're all you know. So I was like, "Okay, I'm famous now, I guess." <laughs> because, but that was about it. Everything else was just a gig. Yeah. You know? So you're just happy I, to ask me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, it's a little bit different. I mean, the thing, you know, and Eddie can t- tell you this as well. You know, when you're a hired gun, I mean, even if you're working for a boss who's really about like, hey, yeah, I hired you and you're my backing band, 
but come on up here and, you know, get your moment on stage. Even yeah. if they're like that, it's still the other guy's thing. Yeah. And the Blessed Union for us, we were so fortunate to have something actually hit that was something that we were all contributing to. Yeah. Um, which, which, and, and what one got from that, I mean, I had played on a bunch of well-known records before that, but what we got out of that was fans. And, and, you know, you can read a million books about like how to deal with that. And now it's nuts. Like this was the very beginning days of the internet. Now, I don't know how famous people deal with it, but just figuring out how to relate to fans. Cause it's, it's a weird thing, you know, it's it's weird. You're sitting at a table and people were standing in line just to have you write your name on something. You yeah, know, like uh, it's, it's weird it's, and, and, and and the way you deal with them. Uh, the one I'll tell you though, the one thing about that whole thing, I guess, that really was was a lesson to me, especially because I was a co-producer on everything on on the first three records. Was you know you always hear discussions, especially among writers, uh, uh, you know, songwriters of well, I wrote this song and it was really special to me and I'm going to put it out and then everybody will know how special it is to me. And no, like once you put it out, that song now becomes everybody else's song. Hmm. And the stuff, the emotional things that people hang on a song that like you would never make that connection in a trillion years. And they would write you these emails and letters about, yeah, it's like, but it's got nothing to do with this. Like, how are you even attaching the song? And Rick Ocasek, bless his heart, to oh, me God. was the guy that really got that right. Because you listen to those Cars lyrics and everything's kind of about a familiar situation, mm-hmm. but you could make anything of those lyrics. Like he really, I thought was the smartest pop writer of the 80s because he really got that concept that like, man, once those songs are, once you let them go, they gone. You know, yeah, I thought it was because he married. What, he married that supermodel, right? And then yeah, Paul, he, he <laughs> wrote her out of the will. Don't get me started. Oh. <laughs> Don't get me started. I got, I, I'm, I'm too many one handshakes away from that situation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, do you write then for yourself, or do you write for everybody? When you're when, in the Blessed Union, I mean, Elliot used to get really mad at me because you know most lead singers like to think that they're just. Uh, Hey, hey I'm, I'm, this is Stephen Williams, one of the greatest drummers in New York. I'm doing an interview uh, for Blessed oh, Union of Souls. We're going to be doing a, a show <laughs> oh, nice. coming up. This is Stephen Williams, played with Diggable Planets. That's yep. Eddie Hedges. Cool. He used to play with Sheila E. and the drummer oh, of Blessed yeah. Union. And, uh, and he's playing with Lizzie tonight. And, nice. uh, and he also played with me and my brother back in the day. Yes. And he's the best. Oh, Stephen Williams. I, as we used man. to call him, our Grammy-nominated drummer, lying our asses off. <laughs> I'll see you inside, baby. That's awesome. That's awesome. Oh, that's All right. cool. What was your question again, Joe? It was, uh, <laughs> so do you write, uh, we'll say personally, do you write for yourself or do you write for people? I think it's a little, it goes both ways. For me right now, I've been doing a lot of writing, uh, film and TV stuff. Yeah. But, um, and then I just, I found a niche where there's a lot of artists who 
you know, they don't have the, uh, the wherewithal to try to get a record deal and not even that they even need to get one anymore. You know, there's so many other ways to get this thing done. Yep. So I work with a lot of those cats. I produce a lot of those. And, you know, and it's everywhere. It's across the map. You know, I'm, I'm producing a country guy right now. Uh, this one cat, he's like a, uh, he's like a funk Christian rock guy, blues. I don't know what it is, man, but he's got, it's a faith message, but he's got tower of power horns going on and, and all kind of stuff. It's pretty funky. When you and, can't label it, it's good. <laughs> and, you know, it's crazy. It's like, and, but it's good. You can, what his intention is, is to try to deliver a positive message through his music. Great. And he, he's doing it. His name is Phil Jones. He's doing it, but he, uh, he's doing it in a way where it's, it's up and it's funky. You're like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's funky. It's really funky stuff. So, cool. And, you know, I'm working on a country record right now with somebody too. So it's all over the map, you know, you're going to go back on the road with CP with Ozzy? Ah, uh, man. It's like, uh, I, the band I was really doing the most road work, I had uh, my own band uh, yeah. with a young lady named Liza Colby. And uh, not to be confused with Liza Colby, who was on All My Children. Uh, and we were, uh, I mean, Eddie's the band's still, the band's right now on a long vacation. But this band was sort of like if you put Tina Turner in front of Led Zeppelin. That's what, wow. and, and we, we were touring Europe nonstop. I mean, I was in Europe so much. Yes. And also and we went to Japan uh, and, and then like everything was kind of moving along and then COVID just killed everything. So we're trying to regroup that back. But uh, I mean, you know, un- a year off the road really <laughs> makes you, you kind of reassess what you're willing to put up with anymore. And my big thing, I'm, I mean, I probably talk myself out of a lot of tours now because i've just told people i'm too damn old i need my own room and i'm not staying in no band houses no more <laughs> it's like no band rooms no band houses not for grandpa i know <laughs> i know, I know. Well, there you go cool yeah. so do you guys going with that but but the, sorry huh no no sorry what do you guys say oh i was just gonna say but you know what i'm still happy to get my ass bounced around in the van and you know play the shows and you know put up with the bad food and everything but just need just need my own room now <laughs> you still set up your own gear yeah oh that's what you gotta do in europe you know yeah. they you, they give you the whole back line and but i you know and eddie will tell you also as a drummer like you start to get real specific of, of like even the hardware pieces that you're ordering because you want to be able to get that drum kit up fast, but yeah. even more importantly, you want to get it in the cases even faster. How many roadies did you guys have when you were touring with Mike and the Mechanics? Uh, we went over with three guys. We had, yeah. a, uh, uh, we had a front of house guy. We had a monitor guy. Yeah. And then a guy teching guitars and just sort of keeping track of the tech, you know? Yeah. And I had the stage hands were all great on all those yeah. shows. Yeah. yeah. You well, there usually are. They're the yeah. smart ones. We're the dummies. Yeah. Well, and for the kids, man, all the all you do with a kid is you set it up, you, you know, and they're traveling with it, so they mark the stage, you know. And I think at the time I had, did I have like a Gibraltar rig? Maybe I don't even know. Something where they just sit. Yeah, you did. Talk, yeah. You know? and there it is. So, you know, those guys, they, they got it down. They got it down. You know. But uh. What shows do you guys so- have booked with Reunion of Souls? We're gonna do this right thing now. Like one. <laughs> Well, because, you know, COVID's over, we actually had, um, we, you know, it's really tough for us only because we're in four different locations. We're photobombing. Oh, 
I'm doing an interview my old band, Blessed Union. We're doing some shows. We're doing some publicity. Antoinette, Antoinette is a shredding, shredding, oh. metalistic, hard rocking guitarist singer. And she doesn't know it yet, but she's actually going to be on a big gig with me next year. Yeah, oh, wow. that's awesome. Yeah, all right, she all doesn't right, know all about right. it yet. I gotta yeah. tell her about it. They're about that's to arrest them. Better. Uh, I, I already <laughs> like you, darling. Oh, oh I man, I want to be with there. We need man, to be in New York. I'm the mayor of the Bowery, motherfucker. Ever since Joey Ramone died. Oh, speaking of which, actually, let me show you something. Let me show you <laughs> where I am in the world. So, yes. So I don't know if you can see this. Up, can you see? That street sign up there. Oh, that's neat. Joy Ramon Street. Yeah. yeah so this. Oh, Joy Ramon Place. Yeah. If you look down Second Street, down the block there was the famous Ramon's Loft, and that's where their uh, design, uh, their graphics guy Arturo, came up with that famous Ramon's logo with the eagle and the baseball bats. Wow. And that was all, all right down the street. And I remember going. He invited me up there one day. And the guys had just come back from California. They had just finished recording uh, End of the Century with Phil Spector. And man, did they have nightmare stories about Phil Spector. (laughs) I mean, I mean, guns and liquor and just like they were just crying about that record. Like, oh, my God, what we've just been through. Marky was telling me Phil was having him triple the drum, like playing the entire drum track three times so now he's got three marquees on everything wow it's just nuts yeah anyway so a little little new york punk rock history you probably had to because you know are you friends with andy sure enough oh andy and i are great friends as a matter of fact it's funny you should bring that up so he was on here he was on here a little while ago (laughs) well well check this out uh let, let me see if i can do this I had Andy on here with a guy named Doug from The Descendants. Oh, yes, right. Uh, I don't know how... Andy, was can... a, he's a really interesting guy, Eddie. This guy was... Oh, uh, here we go. He was just yeah. such a nice dude. All right, check yeah. this out. So I'm going to okay. reverse my camera okay. for just a second. Right. And you can see Handsome oh, Dick Manitoba. And, oh, who's drumming? Who's drumming? Oh, Why, wow. that looks like me. That's wow. That good. is me. That is anyway, and also the world famous Arno Hecht from the Uptown Horns and the Rolling Stones, wow. and Tish and Snooky, the Manic Panic Girls. So yeah, it's uh, it's all it's all happening, and that's actually happening at this very club uh, on Saturday, this Saturday. So I'm working, baby. I'm working. Hey man, it's a good week. It's good. Yeah, Eddie and I got to fly out there. Yeah, I know, man. It's all happening in New York right now. So, Eddie, last few things. If I want to book your studio, how do I do it? And can I? Uh, so the last guys I was talking to, I'm like, what if I want to do a happy birthday to my friend? He's like, no. Oh, no, you <laughs> well, don't you have to be like somebody like a little higher status. Yeah. yeah. No, you just got to drive around Van Nuys for about six hours till you can find his place and hope that your air conditioning holds up. Yeah, right. <laughs> New Yorkers, New Yorkers. You turn left at the taco stand, then you make a right at the other taco stand. Right, exactly. You drive two yeah. blocks to the Mexican restaurant, and then he's on oh, the you right. Be- 
You've been to yeah. Van Nuys, have you? Like, yeah. Listen, listen. It used to be, it used to be, you take a left at the taco stand and another. But now it's like, well, see, you go up here, you see the dispensary on this corner, and you run down to the other corner. There's another dispensary down there. You make a left True. at that one, and then around the corner from the other dispensary, and then there's a sushi joint. Behind the sushi, sushi places joint, are okay. <laughs> you know. All right. Well, uh, I don't want you to be late, CP. I really hope you enjoy your show. Uh, I really appreciate it, man. Yeah, it's going to be a great celebration. Who are you going you to know, see tonight? Who, what's her name? It's Lizzie and the Makers, which is Lizzie Edwards. They have a new album out. Oh, now I'm going to kill. I, I think it's called Butterfly, but I'm not sure. So don't quote me. But Lizzie and the Makers, album name. they're on Spotify. It's sort of like uh, screaming, sort of a little bit of that Southern boogie blues tradition. She's just amazing. And uh, yeah, and, and check it out. Produced by Reeves Gabriels. And uh, yeah, it's all happening. Cool. Well, I hope you guys do some more shows. I'd love to meet you. We do too. Yeah, we're yeah. we're really psyched. I, the 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 reception that we got when we did that show in Pennsylvania. I mean, we're still all pinching ourselves because we thought, like, well, we'll take the shot and make the best of it. But you know, yeah. it's the same as when we used to play. We well, you know, one day playing, you might get we, back to the Girl Scout Jamboree status. Exactly. I know. Well, it's just you start playing all of these hit songs, and then people realize. Oh, wait, that was oh. all you guys. Yeah, yeah. Like there's, there's some bands out there keeping a career afloat with one song. We had 10 top 30 singles. Totally. You know? and what's the, uh, what's the uh, other than the Girl Scout thing, what was the strangest gig you've ever played at? Oh, man. I've had, I've had some winners. <laughs> People have a, um, it was John Mann. He's the percussionist for Elton John. And yeah. a very wealthy Russian uh, guy was going to get married oh. at a strip club. <laughs> Had to don't get take that gig <laughs> get the piano on the stage and everything and he said he had to play percussion like around the stripper pole because there was no room <laughs> yeah we played we yeah. did this gig man we went to uh germany and you know we had to go out with the people who took us around and we were the sotheby's auction sure this was early in the morning we started drinking champagne around what 10 o'clock something like that oh, oh man i totally forgot about this yeah. we drank all day and then we had the show that night in the Black Forest of Germany. And it was in a tent and it was screaming hot. I was so trashed that it, it was, it, no, the, the crazy thing, this was that night. I passed out that night. I passed out that night because we went to a bar and I was with, uh, what's his name from the Goo Goo Dolls? Like the singer from the Goo Goo Dolls. John Resnick. So we're out party. And next thing you know, you know, we split up. I don't see him anywhere. I passed out. I told the guys in the band, I'm going to go outside, sit on the park bench and get some air. Last thing I remember, I woke up the next morning in my hotel room, puke everywhere all over the floor. They had me in this three level room with white carpet. I destroyed, I destroyed it. Ooh. So now I'm trashed and getting up to go to the sound check. And I think I'm still drunk from the night before. So <laughs> we go, we do that gig. And you could smell it. It's just, I'm doing, I'm playing the whole night. It's so hot. They're blowing air into this tent because it's screaming hot. And I'm sweating. That was the hardest. I thought I was going to pass out. This is, listen, this is why I don't drink anymore. And there was another time we were doing this college gig. Chuck, remember, I just stopped playing. We're yeah. playing. We're playing. And this is, this thing is like a wall. The people were like, you know, the stadium seating. So I'm playing. And of course, I had maybe 
did a little bit too much smoking on the bus before we came out. <laughs> and I just stopped. I looked at everybody and went, and just stopped playing. Everybody <laughs> turns around and looks at me. I was like, two, three, plop, and then we take <laughs> off. <laughs> it's like, well, that's, that, that's why I never, I rarely, now I can do it because things have changed, but I rarely sparked up before a show because yeah. years before that, when I first joined Derringer's band, and we went in to do a big rehearsal. And Rick, I hadn't been used to like smoking weed back then. And he passed around this joint. And then we started the rehearsal. And they played the first song. And I was just standing there looking <laughs> at the keyboard, wondering which note I should play first. Yep. And, yep. and I'm still wondering to this day. Uh, so <laughs> I, I knew not to do that when you're playing keys. I know. I had to back it down. So. If I'm on bass, I'll smoke all the weed off your shelf. But uh, ah! <laughs> I'm actually better that way. You got to yes. get in the front. Lays it back in the pocket. You know? Yeah, well, well that, that way I just stand behind the drummer. <laughs> yeah. <that's... laughs> don't wait. What all bass players should be doing, by the way. Yeah, you know, listen, <laughs> that's one thing. Well, good, man. Well, listen. What did you do with Edgar Winter? You played keys or? Yeah, so Edgar joined Rick's band. So we had a New York band. Uh, it was just, you know, uh, uh, drums, bass, keys, and, uh, and Rick. And um, when Edgar joined, uh, first of all, Edgar was appalled to find out what Rick was paying us. He thought we were just getting paid like, like we were sultans, you know. And, uh, but we're New York guys. We got New York rents, man. Come on. Yeah, and, uh but Edgar was such a stickler for the parts that the keyboard parts that he showed up at my house when he joined Rick's band and stayed there for six hours to teach me how to play keyboards like Edgar would. Wow. And, wow. and, you know, cause I told you like how Rick was with the gig, you know, he really didn't care what I did. So does a guy Edgar, like you enjoy that though? I mean, is that super cool to see somebody else messing with the same instrument? It was really especially interesting for me because my major in college was composition, you know, composing, sure. which also meant like, a, you know, a theory maven and arranging and all that stuff. And to watch Edgar's hands, like I've got, my hands will do an octave and a fourth. His hands would do an octave and a fifth. And, you know, he's also a brilliant sax player. So... It was real interesting to watch him play chords because he played in a real, like, grandiose, like, Texas gospel style. Mm. But all of his voicings, like, nothing was closer than a minor third. He literally voiced the piano like he was writing a sax arrangement. And his hands just naturally fell like that. Plus, also, I think he learned a little bit of that from Ray Charles because every... Every rock keyboard player, if you didn't learn half of what you're doing from Ray Charles, you're doing it wrong. Oh, so yeah. anyway, so, uh, so uh, but it was fascinating to watch his voicings. And when you're spreading it out like that, you can really sneak, you can really sneak a little bit of jazz in there and, and no rock fan of the audience will even get it. Like that whole chord change, you know, you know, do underneath that riff in Frankenstein that's hard to play when I first yeah. showed my brother that he goes oh man I had no idea that's literally jazz you know and yeah. and Edgar, Edgar's hands just fell like that so yeah it was fascinating but here's the thing so you know Rick was okay with whatever I did but Edgar was like a school mom and we were the loudest band in the world man we were louder than the deep purple and we'd get off stage 
And, you know, I've been telling off and Edgar come up to me and go, uh, uh, CP, I didn't hear that ninth voice in the left hand of the Bridge of Frankenstein. Didn't I tell you? And whenever he would say that, Rick would go, oh, because he'd been hearing, didn't I tell you for 30 years? Uh, <laughs> great. Uh, of all the people you've worked with, you know, who was the first that comes to mind that's the most talented that just stands out above the rest of just being amazing? Well, I mean, you know, there's a line of New York session guys you've never heard of that, uh, that, you know, I'll tell you, I've been very blessed uh, to have done a little bit of synth work back, you know, back in the eighties, we were all doing TV commercials. Sure. And you'd go, I mean, yeah, I was a synth guy and it was sort of a new thing, which is, that was how I got in the record business and the music business here. But you'd go into these sessions and I mean, you know, Steve Gadd on drums, Will Lee on bass, Marcus Miller on bass, you know, just like, it's insane. I gotta say, and Will's a friend of mine, playing with Will, I, there's a reason why he's Will Lee, you oh, know, yeah. it's just, and when you hear him live, he just, I don't care who the drummer is, he's like the second drummer. He's just pumping that band, and it really is like, you know, it's, you know, now everybody can get on the internet, go YouTube, stream this, you know, listen to that. But man, there's nothing like going out and seeing the real mofos play yeah. live. Because yeah. you learn so much from just seeing a guy that's just done that. You know, Lee Sklar, I mean, they're all bass players, oddly enough. Lee Sklar is another guy like that, man. You see that? He was just in New York. Uh, you see a guy like that just play and just understand like what they're doing in the context of a band it's ah uh, it's like going to an art i mean really is for me it's like going to an art museum you know it's so cool yeah, yeah it's crazy man i like um you know i really love just just funk the feel of it you're right so <laughs> we're like uh <laughs> i was velvet the vote and not and, and and we were rehearsing somewhere over in burbank and James Brown is rehearsing. He's going to do this uh, James Brown living in America thing, right? So we're going to be one of the guests on the show. So we would rehearse. It was like a, we were here in this one room, and James would come in. So people were like, hey, James is coming in at like 3 o'clock. James is coming in. So we'd be sure we had our rehearsal done so we could, like, get in the room. We would hide behind the curtain just to watch James come in and rehearse. So... You know, they were like, they were on walkies like, James is down, he's, he's coming up Hollywood, uh, he's coming up, uh, now he's at this there, now, you know, he's coming around the corner, he's like, okay, he's just now turned on, like, San Fernando Road, he's coming, so, you know, so they get him. How like, many cruisers were behind him? I know, I'm right? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Like, I know, right? I'm so sorry. And he's in his pickup truck, no, no, so, but, so he's like, he comes in, he's in this big stretch, he comes in, now, but keep in mind, the band has been rehearsing for three, maybe four hours. These cast have been two drummers, crazy horn section, a bunch of female singers. And, and not only were they rehearsing, they were dressed rehearsing. You know, not a dress rehearsal, but they were dressed <laughs> just to rehearse. Because yeah. James don't have it. So yeah. they get there. So James gets there. They say he's out front. So I ran up to kind of look out the window. And you see this woman get out. She gets out, she stands by the limo door. You know, fine. Oh. Guys, I, 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 Eddie, I'm so sorry to interrupt you. I got 1% left. I got to go. Get anyway, out of here, man. Go do your game. Tell your story, guys. <laughs> Lovely meeting you, Joel. I'll talk to you guys soon. Take Better care. CP. All right, man. <laughs>
All right, finish up here. I'm intrigued. So we're looking at James Brown out the window. And there's a lady. So yeah, so this lady gets out, right? She gets out. She's just like a, you know, tall, blonde, just beautiful. And then she stands at one side of the door. This other lady gets out next, you know, because what you see is this heel come out and this leg and this gown and they stand there and they're just like beautiful, right? They stand there. You know, so that's one. Then another one gets out, right? So he's got three women. They all get out and they stand by the door. Then you see, you see this brown cowboy boot with a light blue sweatsuit, running suit with a white stripe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you see, and then you see a cane. James gets out. He stands there. He's got on a, a light blue tracksuit with white stripes tucked into brown cowboy boots. And he's got this, this cane with this big jewel on the top black leather coat with a cowboy hat james right so the band so i see him oh he's out of the limo so i run back in because the rooms were kind of connected and i could sneak through the little way and we had hide behind the curtains so we're peeking james walks in the whole band is standing at attention they're they're on point right and they've been there rehearsing all day james comes in you know he walks up he stands there the guy comes up behind him takes his coat off for him you know, he looks at the band. He walks up to the mic and he goes, See, I did just get in the band. The band goes, pop, 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 and get on up. Get on up. I'm like, man, I'm falling over back there. I'm like, you couldn't even understand what he said, but the band, they were on it. And he was like, so the groove is just, it's so funky. It's stinky funky. This groove is nasty. Two drummers, tight as tight can be. You know, the singers, the, the whole band is just stupid. And James goes, you know, he spins around a couple of times, throws the mic down, whips it back up. He goes, comes back, swings around. And boom, and he goes, hit it and quit it. Pop, 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 pop. Done. Holds his hands up. The guy puts his coat back on him. He walks back out and gets his limo and he leaves. Awesome. It's like, oh my God. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know. I was like, man, you're kidding me. Man, that We're is all so behind cool. the curtain. The band's behind the curtain. Uh, Bell Biv the vote. We're all behind the curtain looking. It's like crazy. It's insane. James Brown. And then we do the show. We do the show is where I got to met. I met Quincy at the show. Okay. Super nice cat, man. Quincy's so cool. But it was hard to talk to him because he was Rashida was there, his daughter. Okay. And I kept looking at her like, oh, he saw me. Oh, he's busting me, staring at her. Oh, you know, and she's and she's wearing this thing and her boobs. I'm like, okay. I'm trying to talk to Quincy. This is Quincy Jones. I'm checking out his daughter and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm getting ready to get really in trouble here. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, and so it was crazy. <clears throat> and another thing is, so we all did this show. I don't know if you remember Wilson Phillips. Sure. Wilson Phillips, they did the show. And on the bus, I used to listen to their CD almost every night. Brian yeah. Wilson wrote the biggest songs on it. I mean, come yeah, on. I know, right? Yeah. But their, voice, their voices are so, harmonies and their voices were so soothing. Totally. It, it was, I could just, I could go to sleep to that. You know, it was just so relaxing. So I walk up to him and uh, I tell him, I'm like, guys, you know, I really love you. You know, you guys are great. I said, you know, you put me to sleep. And they went, okay. I was like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. Like a nurturing mother. Like, oh, I don't really know. And I turn around and walk away. You know, I'm like, oh man, I really messed that one up. You know, so that's great. That. Your music's <laughs> wonderful. It puts me to sleep. It's yeah, yeah. Kenny G. Yeah, I know, right? Bonk. Gone. 
anyway, you know, I'm like, oh, well, yeah. Hey, you know what was cool, though? I think one of my, one of the coolest things, I think, I mean, I've met a lot of people in the business that, that I actually looked up to that were like, man, I was fans, you know, Stevie, you know. Um, I was uh, in on one of Michael Jackson's rehearsals. I was really, uh, Ricky Lawson was the drummer for cool. Michael Jackson. <clears throat> so I would go in and we say, we were all rehearsing over at a third encore, third encore. I was with Sheila and we were rehearsing next to uh, uh, Van Halen. So I would have lunch every day with Alex, but then the Jackson team would come in later. So I would go over and hang out with those guys. And Ricky said, hey, today we're auditioning uh, guitar players. And I was like, oh yeah, I said, who's coming in? He says, well, today for whatever time, he said, we have somebody named Lita Ford. I was oh, like, neat. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, check it out. Yeah. So, man, I went in, Lita, she was killing it. But every time she got into, I think like the thriller solo or something, she would like mess up and she would just start, start cussing. She would just be cussing, you know. <laughs> they had to keep warning her. You can't do that when Michael's around, you know. I don't, I don't know how that ever played out, but you know, I just hung out for the audition. But apparently, she got the gig, you know. She did. Yeah, it for that's a while. great. She's killer. She's cool. And then later on, we would go rehearse. Uh, we moved over to uh, from Third Encore to another place over in Burbank. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, something Sound something. And um, Sound City. Was it Sound City? It's over in Burbank, over by the off of San Fernando Road, over there by the the Costco and all that stuff. I don't know. It's over there somewhere. But um, so we're in this room with Sheila, Billy Idol's in the other room, and then uh, Michael McDonald is in the other room. Huge Michael fan, right? Great so, singer. Oh, man, crazy. But he would always come in as we were at lunch. So I stayed behind for lunch just to hear him practice. You yeah. Know? And um, so they're practicing, I'm listening. By now I'm leaning up against the door because it's so, you can barely hear anything through those doors. And I didn't hear anything, all of a sudden the door opened. Wham, Michael, looking right at me. What are you doing? I'm like, sorry, man, I, you know, I, I, I was just listening, you know, I, stuttering. I, you know, I'm sorry, I, I'm not imposing. He says, well, you can't, hear. come in and sit down. I'm like, okay. So I go in, I'm looking around, there's nowhere to sit. So I'm just standing there. He slides over because he's facing the band. Piano okay. here and he's facing the band. Slides over on his bench and I sit down next to him. Counts it off. You don't know me, but I'm sitting right next to him going like, oh my God, yeah, Michael McDonald. I'm sitting right here on the bench. He's singing. I'm like, man, it don't get no better. <laughs> no, that's amazing. You know? And he so, did the whole song? Yeah, yeah, they're practicing. He was getting ready to go out, you know. I only got to hang for that one because our lunch was over. I had to get back. I couldn't be later. I get docked. She, Sheila had that uh, James Brown method. You know, oh. don't be late. <laughs> you don't be late, right? You get docked. So, but you know, a lot of cool people. A lot of a lot of really great. Uh, I got in trouble once by RuPaul's boyfriend. We did um, Arsenio Hall. Yeah. And, um, you I did Arsenio with Sheila. I did it with RuPaul. Oh, I didn't know you were for RuPaul. Yeah, I did Arsenio with Rue. Rue got to be the nicest cat, man. Super, super nice. I was so comfortable around him and probably a little too comfortable around him because okay. later on his boyfriend kind of gave me the what's up. You know, hey, don't get too familiar. That's what he said. Oh, no like, way. Okay, I won't. 
<laughs> believe yeah. me, I won't. You know, <laughs> like my girlfriend won't let me. You know, so I'm like, okay, you know, huh. crazy. Got to protect. Got to protect. Yeah, but you know, Bill Cosby was on that show that night too. I so, hear he's going to do a tour. Can he walk? Is he? So that's what I was saying, man. And the videos were, or the pictures or whatever, we were seeing him in jail. He was, you know, I can't believe he lived to get out of jail. I know. I know. And there's so many. That's, I even, I had to quit talking about it because depending on who you talk to, you're in a fight. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm like, you know what? It's like it's like COVID. It's like the vaccine. It's like everything else. It's like well, okay. I was just wondering. So he's out now. I wonder if Eddie Murphy's kind of like, oops, shouldn't have said all that shit. Thought he was gonna <laughs> die too. <laughs> yeah, he could have been on the tour, right? He's like, oh man, made a boo boo. <laughs> Eddie, yeah. Eddie, and he's another one. My my only bad Eddie Murphy story. My, this one is uh, we're in Cincinnati, Ohio. I was married. My first wife. She was married. I, I was married. She was a Playboy bunny. Right, used to hang out with all the celebrities when they came into town. So I go to this after party and uh, they see me come in. I was kind of like, you know, in kind of a, you know, kind of well-known in the town because I'd played so much around the town. And these guys saw me come in and the uh, security came up to me. They said, so you have to leave. I'm like, wait a minute, why do I have to leave? You know, and this is a party, right? It's like, yeah, but you have to leave. I'm easy, I'm like, that's fine, I'll leave. The guy came, caught me on the way out. One of my buddies caught me on the way out. I said, the reason they're making you leave is because your wife is back in the room with Eddie Murphy. Oh, rough. I was like, oh, man. So, you know, I ended up going, I'm not an Eddie fan anymore. But, hey, he's on the road doing what guys do. So what do you do? No longer married to that one. Good. But, but we're still I like friends. the new one because, you know, yeah, she's, she's brand new. How long are you yeah, married now? It's, what, about 15 years? Ah, God, oh, longer. 20 something yeah. odd years to this one. You know, it's my second time around and she's amazing, man. She met my mom like about a month, maybe three weeks before my mom passed. And my mom told me, she says, you know, after she met her, because I used to drive down to Kentucky, pick her up, bring her out to the house. I had a farm out in Ohio and we bring her out to the house and we'd hang out. She talked to my mom for a little bit. I take her back. My mom says, come here, I need to talk to you. I said, yes, yes, ma'am. She says, that girl, I was like, yes, ma'am. Now keep in mind, I have four brothers. Yeah. So the the, the revolving door on the on the house, the girls, man, you know. So my mom <laughs> seen a lot of them, right? And she goes, uh, I like that girl. I like that one. She didn't like any of the other ones. She didn't like any of my girlfriends, my wife, any of them. She says, I like that girl. And so after my mom passed, my dad says, you know, your mom really liked Suzanne. She really liked her. And I was like, yeah, that's what she said. She says you're going to get married. I was like. I ain't making that mistake ever again. I'm not going down that road. Never. I cannot. Three years later, I do. I'm like, oh, well, here I am again. You know? And she's yeah, like, she's a sweetie. She is, man. She's great, man. I tell you what, I, I honestly, I'd probably be lost without this one. She, she keeps everything together for us, you know? Well, so Everybody needs that, man. Yeah, she's a good one. She's a good one. So everybody needs somebody. And that's a new song by the Reunion of Souls that I wrote and recorded and we did the video and right here at Native Music, hold on, I'm almost there. Native, oops, hold on. Native. There we go. Can you get that? I got it. Native Music Studio. Native Hedges. There you go, right? Thank you very much. I appreciate you hanging out.
Yeah. And uh, I'm going to go see you guys play. Come on over, man. Definitely. It'd be fun. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for listening to Party Like a Rockstar podcast. I'm your host, Joel Miller. Don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel and Facebook page. We're also on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Same handle on all of them. At Party of Stars. Cheers.